Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning our text will be taken from Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, particularly those words in that text uh, where God says through the prophet Hosea uh, that I will give the valley of Achor as a door of hope. You think of the valley of Achor, you need to go back to the book of Joshua. And remember also the events that took place in chapter 7. God had given a miraculous victory to the people of Israel over the city of Jericho where he caused the walls to all tumble down. And the people of Israel were looking forward now to conquering the rest of the land. And so with a small group of men, they attacked this little village, the little city of Ai. But they were soundly defeated, and the reason for that was because there was sin in their midst. Achan had rebelled and sinned against the Lord by uh, taking the things that he had seen there in the city of Jericho, which God had said uh, should be all placed under the ban. Nobody was to take any of that, was to be completely destroyed and dedicated to the Lord uh, God. The result was that God was angry with his people because of that sin of Achan, and he allowed his people to be defeated at Ai. When it was discovered that it was Achan who had sinned against the Lord God, uh, then the people stoned Achan and his family and all his possessions, and the result is that the anger of God was turned away from his people, and God again went with them, and he helped his people to conquer the whole land. But the valley where this took place, where Achan was stoned, was called the Valley of Achor. Achor simply meaning the place of trouble or despair. Now that name of the Valley of Achor is almost like a little footnote that you find in Joshua chapter 7. It almost seems like a little bit of information that is given to us, and yet it became a very important place for the people of Israel because it was a constant reminder about, for the people of what has happened when they turned against the Lord God, when they sinned against God, then God's anger came against them. And, and when God's anger was against them, then they no longer enjoyed the blessings of God in their life uh, either. And so it becomes an important place. Uh, it's mentioned twice more in scriptures, mentioned by the prophet uh, Isaiah in chapter 65. And the other place it's mentioned is here in our text in the prophecy of Hosea. And Hosea now uses it within the context in which the people of Israel, again, have rebelled against the Lord their God. God's people are like Hosea's wife, Gomer. Gomer, who became unfaithful to her husband by going back to her former life of prostitution. The result is that God's fierce anger has now turned against the people of Israel once more because they have become unfaithful and become an adulterous people. And so God warns the people of Israel uh, that they again are bringing trouble upon uh, themselves and that therefore he will now also punish them for their rebellious attitude. And yet, despite the trouble that is going to come upon the people of Israel, the Lord God also comes and he says, also comes and he reveals to them his grace and his mercy. 
He shows that in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 15, when he says to them, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Well, you know, there in the valley of Achor, the Lord brings his judgment. But God says it is through my judgment that I will also bring about a renewal in the land of Israel. Yes, there will be trouble. There will be despair among God's people. But the Lord now also gives a sense of hope. For through this trouble, God will again bring back an adulterous people. And so you see, beloved, that God's discipline is, is not meant to destroy. But through his discipline, that God intends to, to bring his people back into a living relationship with him. And therefore, this morning, I may proclaim to you God's word under uh, this theme. The Lord makes the valley of Achor a door of hope. So the, our theme, the Lord makes the valley of Achor a door of hope, we'll look at two things. First of all, at Achor, we look at Achor as a, first of all, as a valley of despair. But secondly, Achor now becomes a door of hope. Hosea's message is an unpleasant message. One in which it's a message that God is now also going to reveal through the personal life of the prophet Hosea. God illustrates his problem with Israel then by comparing Israel's situation to the situation between Hosea and his wife Gomer. Gomer has become unfaithful to her husband. She did so by, by taking on other lovers. In verse 5 of this chapter, she said, I will go after my lovers, my lovers who, who give me my food and my, my drink, my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. And she knows what she says. She says that she's going to go after her lovers. Why? Because, she says, they're the ones who give me the things that I desire. And my lovers give to me my food, my water, my wool, my linen, my oil, and my drink. And so she looks to her lovers as the source of everything that she enjoys in her life. And then in verse 8, Hosea says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. And so there's some, almost going back and forth here between speaking, Hosea speaking like to his wife and God speaking to his, his people Israel. In a way, when you think of Gomer here, Gomer then is kind of deceiving herself, thinking that her lovers were, were giving her everything that she wants. When really it was her husband who gave her all those things. And so what has she done? She has taken the gifts and the blessings that her husband gave her, and she gives them to her lovers. And, and then she has this audacity to say that it was her lovers who gave these things, all these things to her. Now that seems to be a rather absurd illustration for, for how could she really think that her lovers gave her these things when it was her husband who has just given them all to her? Well, beloved, God is using this to show Israel how absurd their actions really are. 
Right, verse 8 shows how the metaphor here applies to the people of Israel. God says, I am the one who, who blesses my people Israel with all the things that they need in their daily lives. I'm the one who gives them the grain that grows in the field. I'm the one who gives them the new wine and the oil. All those blessings come from the hand of Almighty God. But what's happened is that the people took that grain, that new wine, that oil, and they gave it to Baal. Baal, who is the god of the Canaanites. I say, well, why would they do that? Well, they did that because they believed that Baal was the god of fertility. And so by giving to him the, the, the produce that came from the land, they thought that, that Baal would, would, now have, would now also continue to bless the land and that he would then give them everything that they needed. And so Israel believed that the grain and the wine and the oil, it all came from Baal. And so what did they do? Well, they took some of those things from, that they thought came from Baal and, and they gave it back to Baal, hoping that he would continue to give them much fertility. God comes to his people, Israel, and God says, My people, my people, have you forgotten that it was I who gave you all those blessings that you enjoy here in this land? Don't you understand that you wouldn't have anything if I didn't give you that grain and that wine and that oil? How absurd it is that you think this. And yet, Israel, they believed it. They believe that it came from Baal. And so, what's God's solution for this? Well, God says in verse 9, He says, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen. That's what God says. He says, I'm going to remove all the blessings that I have given to my people. And you know what happens when God removes all those blessings? It's going to bring despair. But the people will no longer have any food to eat and drink. They'll no, no longer have clothing to wear. They'll go hungry, be naked, and they'll die. And their life will be like that dark valley of despair. And then God says, and then they will remember it is not Baal who gives us these things, but it is the Lord, our God, who gives us all those good things. And so you see, beloved, how it is through, through His discipline, through His judgment, that the Lord is going to open up the eyes of His people so that they begin to really realize that He is indeed the one who gives them all the good things that they have and not the lovers after which they have gone. When we reflect on this, then we begin to understand, beloved, too, that, that that sin is always a devastating betrayal. It's a devastating betrayal of trust that goes to the heart of every relationship. Sin is, first of all, a betrayal of our, of our trust against the Lord. Right? When, when we sin, what do we do? We, we turn our back on the Lord God in order that we might fulfill the desires of our own heart. Remember, that was the problem also with Achan way back in Joshua chapter 7. When Achan was in the city of Jericho after God had allowed the walls to fall down and he gave that city into their hands. And Achan saw 
there, he saw a beautiful robe and he saw some silver and he saw a wedge of gold and, and he desired it in his, in his heart. And he went and, and he took those things. And taking those things was really nothing more than a betrayal of trust in the Lord his God. Because what did Achan think? Well, well Achan thought those are the things they will satisfy the desires of my heart. And so he saw that his eyes became big and, and, and he said, you know what, those things will give me what I desire and they will make me happy the rest of my life. But what did Achan forget? While Achan refused to trust that the Lord God would give him even greater blessings here in the land that the Lord God was given to them in Canaan. And now you go many generations later in the days of Hosea, the people of Israel, they again refuse to trust that the Lord is the one who will give them their food and their drink and their clothing. Instead they went and they put their trust in Baal as if Baal is able to satisfy those things. And so God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take away all my blessings. And then your life will become like a dark valley of despair. For now, my people, who is going to give to you your food and your clothing and the riches that you crave in your heart? There will no longer be any hope for you. Now, you know, someone might say, well, you know, today we no longer serve idols such as Baal. Right in our modern, our, our Western world, we, we don't believe in idols anymore. Well, that may be true, to, I would say, to a certain degree. But the reality is that the, sin, uh, that, uh, that the sin of Israel is just as prevalent today in our society. You see, what Israel did was they, they syncretized their religion with the Baal worship. That means they tried to meld them together and try to somehow think that you could serve, or that you could have both religions. So the people, yes, they still serve God. They were still faithfully bringing their sacrifices in the temple to God, and at the same time, they also went and they worshipped Baal, and they brought their sacrifices to Baal. And so Israel no longer understood the power of God, and they no longer believed that God was sufficient for everything in their lives. They thought, yes, that we serve God, but we also need to serve Baal in order that we might continue to enjoy the material well-being in our life. And therefore, this Old Testament text really asks this question of us today, beloved. And this question is this, is our God, our God whom we now today know as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is he really sufficient to provide for all of, my de- all of my needs also today? Remember that we said that, that sin is a betrayal of our trust in God. So what is sin? Well, sin says this. Sin says, I don't trust God. You say it's also unbelief. But what does faith say? Faith says, I fully trust my God to be sufficient for my whole life. Faith says, I believe with my whole heart that God can and that God will provide for me. But the reality is that we can be just like the people of Israel in which we syncretize our life with 
the belief system of the world in which we are living. And so indeed, today people may no longer worship idols such as Baal. But what people have done today is they have placed, replaced their dependence on Baal with a dependence on our own human ability. And in this individualistic society, the message is that everyone has to fend for him or herself. Or if you can't take care of yourself, then fellow human beings want to take care of yourself. Or the government will take care of you. But ultimately what the message today is, is that mankind is in control of his own destiny. We determine the things that we can do. Prosperity is a result of my own ingenuity and making the right decisions at the right time. Our secular society might no longer put trust in a god such as a Baal idol. But beloved, today mankind puts their trust in the power and the wisdom of mankind. And so our society has simply replaced one, one idol for another idol. But really, beloved, what is mankind in comparison to the almighty power of our God? God says to Israel that he will remind them who is God. And he says, I will do that by removing all the blessings that I, given, that I have given to you. And then see how sufficient Baal is to provide for you. Or how sufficient today, you might say, that humankind, that people are to provide for themselves. If God does not bless the grain and the wine and the cattle in the fields, then there will be nothing. And so God also reveals that, that, we, that when we do not put our trust in him, that such betrayal will lead to awful consequences in our life, in the life of mankind. Take, for example, uh, to today, uh, how the Western world boasts about their economic uh, achievements. Right? So often we, we read also in the papers about the wonderful economy that the Western world has built and how advanced that, that we have come, and that today people are able to enjoy wealth and riches. And although there are pockets of poverty, yet generally speaking, people are, are well off and they experience a pretty, pretty nice life compared to what people had in the past, only maybe 150, 200 years ago. And yet at the same time, we know that the world economy today is on the brink of crisis. Why? Because so much of our economy today is now built on unstable sand. The financial system cannot bear the pressure of the great debts that the nations have built up in order to pursue the riches and the material possessions that they want. And so mankind boasts in their achievements, and yet at the same time we are now teetering on the edge of collapse. Summer was able to, to go to Europe, and there people are very much concerned about their future and about where the economy is, is going to go, more so than here in North America and even Canada. And we don't know how the Lord will let things develop in, in the future. Perhaps he will allow the world to step back from the edge of any collapse or overall collapse. But yet the dream life of a, a free life of wealth and riches has been shattered. 
Today, nations need to bear the consequence of financial tightening that has shattered the dreams of people in many nations. Take, for example, if you are a resident today of Greece, where are you? We have lost everything, and even your pensions today are not even secure, or not enough to be able to live from. All this reveals, beloved, simply this, how hopeless it is to put our trust in our own abilities and in that of mankind, for they can never guarantee the security that we seek and that we need. And so true worship of God means that we learn to put our trust in the complete sufficiency of the Almighty One. True faith, beloved, trust that God is the sovereign Lord who rules over all of creation. That He is the one who also gives to me today my food and my drink, my money and my wealth and my health. Right? To put our trust in our own abilities or the abilities of others is a betrayal of that trust in the Lord our God. And such betrayal of that trust in the Lord our God will have devastating effect for our lives for eternity. Well, there's also another way in which this text speaks to us. You see, Israel, they tried to worship both God and, and Baal at the same time. And what Israel uh, did is also very common. Today you hear it expressed this way. I believe. I believe that there are many ways to the same God. And therefore, every religion is valid, and every religion is going to lead us all to the same place and lead us all to the same God. Well, what happened in Israel is that the people began to adapt the Canaanite culture into their faith. And so the people began to also bring Canaanite morality into their culture. And so instead of keeping this, this clear line between themselves as, God, as God's people on the one hand, over against the Canaanites, as God had warned the people in Israel uh, through, uh, or there in the, in, the, in the time of Joshua, they said, God said, make sure you destroy all the nations so that they might not become an influence and that you might take their ideas and their cultures into your culture, but that you remain faithful to me. No, what did Israel do instead of keeping those clear lines as God warned them? No, they began to blur those lines. Oh, they, they still kept some of the biblical teachings, perhaps all, most of the biblical teachings, but they also introduced Canaanite theology and Canaanite morality. Well, beloved, to maintain that, that firm line remains a challenge for us also today. More and more, we, we too struggle to maintain the boundary between the moral values of our society and the moral values that have, that have been taught to us by God in His Holy Word. You know, let's go back 40, 50 years ago. This nation, you can say, still maintained biblical morality. I speak about that in a very general way. Divorce was uncommon in those days. If it happened even in a town, it was the gossip of the town. And divorce could only be obtained on certain um, grounds. It had to be valid grounds, had to be given. Those days, abortion was still considered to be murder. The Lord's Day was still generally being observed. And while pornography was still very much a scourge even in those days, yet it was something that was underground, which it is no longer today. 
With regard to, to gender, back then men were still considered to be men and women still considered to be women. There was no mixing or blending of, of, of genders as our society speaks about it today. Now going back, I wouldn't say necessarily that spiritually things were better then because I think the seeds of decay were already present even back then. But back then our society still maintained a certain biblical morality. Well, modern values have changed so that society has largely become today completely hostile to biblical values. Today, we were constantly, people are constantly being told that you have the freedom to do your own thing. Tolerance for every vile lifestyle is being proclaimed. And the more vile it is, the more tolerant we have to become of it. Materialism has become the god of our age. And there are no longer any absolutes in, in, in this life. But everything is relative so that there are no longer any rights or any wrongs. The mass media constantly bombards us, whether it be in the news, whether it be in, the, in the, all the different kinds of shows that, that you can watch constantly bombards us with these modern values so that people begin to believe that those values now should be the norm for our society. And so it becomes hard to, to resist the new morality, especially if, if people don't understand anymore who the Almighty God really is. Now we might expect, and we should expect that, that unbelievers, they would easily take over that, that new morality because they really don't know who God is. But yet we also find churches, we also find Christians today who, who try to syncretize that new morality with their Christian faith. And in this way, many Christians, many churches have fallen into, you can say, the same sin as Israel did by trying to incorporate the wicked ideas of the world into their religion so that their religion might become more palatable also within the culture in which we're living. But beloved, by doing so, God says this, now you now break faith with me, I who am the Lord, your God. When we no longer maintain that distinction between the church and between the people of God and the ideas and the beliefs of the world, we betray our covenant relationship with God Almighty. And when we betray that relationship, beloved, then, then instead of calling the world to repentance, no, we begin to sin against the Lord our God. And we think we're wiser than God by being able to allow those moralities, those things of the world to, uh, to be also part of our life. And the result is that God will remove every blessing in Jesus Christ so that we plunge ourselves into the dark valley of despair. Betrayal of the Lord our God means that we have broken that relationship with the Almighty and when we break that relationship, beloved, then the fierce anger of God will also be turned against us. Did you ever think about the life of our Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus didn't try to fit his teaching in with the ideas of the world and the ideas which, in which he was living. 
Remember how he stood up against the evil values even of the leaders of the church in, 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 in those days. He didn't try to become popular. He didn't try to make his, his teaching somehow something that was more palatable uh, for his hearers. But he came and he proclaimed the will of his Father. And so, for example, against those in Israel in those days who promoted easy divorce, the Lord Jesus and made it very clear. He says that divorce will not be tolerated except on the ground of adultery. And therefore, beloved, also today, we are called also by our Lord to maintain our identity as His people and as believers, as Christians in this world. This world continues to, to have that need to be called to repentance, for without repentance, mankind lives in a dark valley of despair. But you notice the Lord doesn't just bring a message of despair. He also brings a message of hope. And therefore he promises, he says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. God's purpose, beloved, in, in disciplining his people is not that he might destroy them, but he wants to save us. That was already evident way back in Joshua chapter 7. There in the valley of Achor, Achan and his family were completely uh, destroyed. Why? So that the wickedness might be, re might be removed from Israel. And the result of this action is that God's anger now turned away from Israel again, and the Lord went with them. So that they're able to, so God fought their battles and they're able to destroy all the nations in Canaan. And so there in the valley of Achor, God's people saw the trouble that their sin brought against them. But they also experienced the mercy and the grace of God when God turned back to his people again. And now God says in the days of Hosea that he will again do the same for his people Israel. In verse 13, God says that he will punish Israel for the days that she burned incense to the Baals and went after her lovers. There's the punishment, the judgment. Then in verse 14, he says, Therefore I am now going to allure her I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give back her vineyards. You see here God's purpose? God says, I will discipline my people in order that I might bring them back. By taking away all of his blessings, he, first of all, he helps them to see how foolish they really were. Now it becomes clear to his people, it's not the Baals who gave us all those blessings, but it was the Lord God who gave them to us. And so God's purpose is he might open the eyes of his people. And beloved, the Lord can use different means to open our eyes uh, to the truth. And the first thing that, that the Lord does is he does that through the proclamation of the gospel. He did that also in the days of Israel when he sent his prophets that they might proclaim the truth and they might call his people to repentance. And so God's word is constantly setting us before the truth. And it is through that faithful proclamation of the gospel that the Holy Spirit opens our hearts so that we begin to see what really lives inside of us. Right? It is through his word and spirit God helps me to see the deception that lives there deep in my heart. And then he also helps me to see how often I, I syncretize the values of this world 
even in my own life. And so God's Word constantly constantly exposes for us how we betray Him by putting our trust also in the earthly things all around us. And beloved, as the Lord exposes the sin, as He exposes that corruption that lives in us, also that betrayal of our trust in the Lord God, what does He do? At the very same time, He is busy luring us. And He lures us through the wonderful promises of His Gospel. And He calls us. He says, put your trust in Me. And what a joy. What a joy to be able to trust that, that my life now rests in the hands of the living God. What a joy to know that that my God protects me, that He deeply cares for me, and that He does so for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ. And there are times that the Lord indeed uses the effects of our sinful behavior. Indeed, He does that to chastise us. Sinful ways can lead to awful consequences in our lives. Unfaithfulness to our spouse can lead to a loss of our family. Alcohol can lead to a miserable life in which we lose everything. Stealing can lead to a loss of our work and a loss of our reputation. And there are times that the Lord allows His children to fall very low. Why? So that He might again bring us back to our senses. And so there are many of God's children who have fallen deeply only to discover later through the power of the Holy Spirit, to discover the joy of, again, serving the Lord their God. And therefore, God's purpose in in disciplining us through His Word, and even sometimes withdrawing the earthly blessings that we enjoy, those, beloved, serve as a door of hope through which we may again learn to experience the goodness and the mercy and the grace of our God. You know, we experience God's greatest blessing through His own Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, it was the Lord Jesus who, who walked through the dark valley of despair when He gave His life on the cross. You may ask, you may also think about what hope did the Lord Jesus really have as He was dying there on the cross, rejected by mankind, rejected by His own Father in heaven. Because there on the cross, the Lord Jesus experienced the full anger and the full wrath of God for all of our sins. And yet, it was through His great suffering, through His death, that the Lord Jesus was able to turn back the anger of God that stood against us. For our Lord Jesus Christ, this this was a, a difficult experience, but it was also the door of hope. For through His suffering, the Lord Jesus opened up the way for us into the kingdom of our God. And therefore, beloved, this text also speaks about the future. In verse 15, God says that He will again restore His people. And although God might take away all their blessings today, all the blessings of Israel, yet God says in the future, I will restore your vineyards. And then God says, then she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came up out of Egypt. And in verse 21, God says that He will again respond to the skies, and and the skies will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the oil. In other words, God will again allow the earth to bring forth its produce. And so the Lord gives also His people here in the days of Hosea a great hope for the future. You see how God is merciful, beloved? 
Although the people are unfaithful, the Lord is faithful. God will discipline them so that he might turn them back. And that by turning them back, he might again give to them his rich blessings, for that is his greatest joy. Well, today, we remember the rich promises of the Lord Jesus that God has given to us in his Son, Jesus Christ. Today, we look to the Lord Jesus as the one who gives to us that door of hope, because it is by faith in him that we don't only trust that he will take care of my life today, but he provide for me for eternity. Christ gives to us that glorious hope of the life everlasting there in his kingdom. Beloved, it's that hope that gives us the strength that we need to continue on in our faith. It's that hope that we have when, when we have sorrow and when we have pain and when we have to deal with death and, and the loss of one who is dear to us. This congregation, you've also gone through that this past week. And we know as we turn back to the Lord God that we have a God who is almighty, but a God who is faithful, a God who we may trust, a God in whom we may find our strength each and every day of our lives. We trust Him because we know that our God is a God who is faithful to all His promises. He's shown that faithfulness to us in His Son, in Jesus Christ. Beloved, you may live each day, each day in faith, fully believing that also one day our Lord Jesus Christ will appear when He comes. Then He will fulfill all the promises of life, of salvation. On that day, we will enjoy riches and blessings that we cannot even begin to imagine today. But that day, the wealth and the riches of this world will be as nothing compared to the infinite blessings of the Lord our God. And therefore, we do not despair. We don't despair as we now go through the troubles of this life. For, beloved, in Jesus Christ, the Lord gives to you and he gives to all his people that glorious door of hope. Amen. Let us sing together in response to the word of our Lord. The words of Psalm 4, stanzas 2 and 3. Psalm 4, stanzas 2 